Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. The process of spiritual formation and maturity is likened unto a race in the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 12. We learned through those verses that we have need to lay aside weights, sins, things that weigh us down in our progress towards maturity in Christ. I hope it's your ambition to strive after maturity in Christ. We're in this race together. But it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's one that takes place over a long period of time. And today's passage reminds us of an important ingredient in running this race. It's not one of the ingredients we probably like the most. It's God's discipline, His fatherly discipline upon us, His children. Discipline. What does that conjure up in your minds? A spanking? I got a lot of those as a kid. I'm sure you can't imagine that, but I got a lot of spankings as a kid. Didn't appreciate them when they happened. But I can honestly say I never doubted whether my parents loved me or not. Grounding, the taking away of privileges, is that what you think of when you think of discipline? Fatherly discipline is much more than just that. Hear God's word as we endeavor together to run this race. Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11 In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let's pray together. Our Father, Lord, thank you for letting us call you our Father. Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins purchasing us redemption, and giving us an adopted relationship. We are adopted by God the Father. And Lord, you are our Father, and it is in this role as Father that we come to you seeking your discipline, seeking your hand upon us. For Lord, we know you love us. I pray, Lord, that we would accept willingly your discipline in our lives. For your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, there are times when I love my children and there are times when I have to discipline my children. This is not the correct understanding of these passages or this concept of fatherly discipline. We declare our love for our children by disciplining them, by being actively involved in their lives to guide and direct them. 
And because the Lord Jesus has gone to the cross for us, and all the things that the first ten chapters of the book of Hebrews lays out for us regarding Christ as our mediator, our high priest, the reason why we have a relationship with God, all of this points to the fact that we are now in an adopted relationship with God the Father. He's our Father. Yes, He's King. Yes, He's Lord. But He's your Father because of Christ. This is a wonderful relationship, a privileged relationship we have with the Father. And part of real fatherhood, real parenthood, is discipline. That is how we know we are loved. And we receive discipline from our loving Heavenly Father. This is a fact of our walk with God. We are really blessed by our Father's loving discipline. The fact of our Father's discipline is there for us in verse 5 and 6. See there in the passage. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So, in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, we're told that God disciplines his children. With a reference to the Old Testament. The point being is that God has always been the father to his, his people. Always. It's true that this side of the cross, we've been given the spirit of adoption. There's perhaps a greater conception of his loving fatherly care over us, this side of the cross with the ministry, the special ministry of the Holy Spirit. But don't lose the fact that God has always referred to himself as father to his people. This reference that we have before us comes from uh, the book of Proverbs. And we will see that there are Old Testament references to fatherly discipline just as there are New Testament references to fatherly discipline. But before we go further, consider the word discipline itself, because I think it conjures all sorts of ideas for us today. The particular Greek word here is actually very general for discipline. It can be translated to discipline, to chasten, to correct, to nurture, to instruct. So it has a general meaning. Please note that the concept of punishment is not existent in this particular definition. It's not punishment. It's instruction, correction, nurture. To discipline, according to this word, is to instruct with the aim of increasing one's virtue. Discipline, the way it is referred to here and elsewhere in the Bible, means to train, to instruct, to nurture, and to correct. I think what is of utmost importance for a correct understanding of fatherly discipline is to recognize that it's not just regular discipline. I mean, regular discipline can have from someone un- you can receive from someone unrelated to you. Uh, laws could be kind of regular disciplines that we follow that keep us in certain parameters. They're kind of cold. They're kind of impersonal. They may have uh, their their use, but it's it's not the same as fatherly discipline with a personal connection made to you and parameters given, rules given, encouragement given, direction given with you in mind. As a child, fatherly discipline has a much more personal tone, much more personal application. It's born out of love for someone, not a faceless view, but love for a particular person, a child. That's fatherly discipline. And I want to say at this point that I recognize fully that when some of you hear the analogy of God the Father, you immediately go to whoever your earthly father was. And I know this much about your earthly father. He is sinful. He was sinful. I recognize some of you have had great harm done to you because of your father. I am not a perfect father. I often pray that God would allow me to be faithful so that my children wouldn't have a skewed view of God the Father. But please recognize, brother or sister, 
that in Christ you have God as your father. He never sins. He never does anything to hurt you. His discipline is born out of love. And so when we go through this analogy of fatherly discipline, please wash from your minds all those sinful applications that you may be guilty of or have had done to you of fatherly discipline and recognize that the father we have, our heavenly father, loves us with an everlasting love and we should never doubt that fact by, based on what he has given for us, his own son. So with that view and that understanding of our heavenly father, recognize the thoroughly biblical concept of God's fatherly discipline exercised in all of our lives as children of God. The Old Testament reveals this in Proverbs 3, 11, and 12, which is referenced here by the author of Hebrews. Hebrews 3, 11, and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. So God is the father of his people. is not a New Testament concept. It's descriptive of God's relationship with his people from all time. And you know, in a really pivotal point where God is often given the description is, is kind of the lawgiver, like that's a bad thing. Uh, in Deuteronomy, he speaks to the people of God in these terms. After giving the law at Sinai, Deuteronomy 8, 5, and 6, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. He says from the earliest possible moment to his people, your keeping the commandments is not what makes you my son. I have adopted you and made you my son. I have made you my daughter. And the discipline I bring to your life is because I love you as a parent, as a father, and want to see you reflect your new family. This is what God does. And this is revealed in the Old Testament. You know, he doesn't get up at, after the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai experience and say, I'm the king, treat me as uh, my subjects. Although he could have, and he certainly is king. I am the Lord, you are my servants, and you are my slaves. Uh, follow me. Instead, he says, I'm your father. That's at Mount Sinai, and the conclusion of that great event. But you know, the New Testament opens it up for us even more. In 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, these powerful words. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. In other words... We don't have the ability on our own to really see the depths of our heart to purely judge ourselves and change ourselves. But when we are judged by the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11 says, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, along with those who are not my children. So I treat you as children to protect you from yourself sometimes so that you don't end up like the masses who reject me. This is a fatherly love. In the book of Revelation, these words, those whom I love... I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You are children of the living God. He loves you so much that he takes action in your life to discipline you. Verse 7 and verse 8 of our passage then, Hebrews 12, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have, have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. It is truly a blessing to be disciplined. To be disciplined by our Father means simply this, we are loved. Now, I want to take a moment to address something I think is important, and I think it impedes many of believers thinking and possibly even walk with the Lord. The concept of discipline compared to the concept of punishment. There's a big difference, brothers and sisters, a big difference. Discipline is instructive and corrective. It's done with the purpose of helping us become something. It's instructive. It's corrective. 
Punishment, on the other hand, correctly understood, is primarily punitive or retributive. You do something bad, now you get it. You're punished for what you did. It's a voodooism of sorts. You know, now you did what you did, now I'm going to get you back. And that's a punishment. In Strictly speaking, that is not what the scripture means. Sometimes English, the English translations will say God punishes. But the word behind it, the Greek word, does not carry that connotation. Nor does the theological concepts that are given to us in the scripture support that idea. We just sang one of the great, uh, truly great hymns of the faith, where we, we come to, uh, it is well with my soul. In the second verse, or the third verse, one of my favorites of all hymnody, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. The point being is that we have had our sins punished, but they were put out on Christ, and God punished Christ. We're not punished, we're disciplined. So if something bad is happening to you, or there's some action going on in your life, I promise you what it's not. It's not punishment from God. It may be loving discipline. And they can feel the same when they're happening. But the purpose is altogether different. Punishment is much different than fatherly discipline. Technically speaking, if I could keep my sin out of it, I don't punish my children. I do what I do to discipline them. Now, I have sin mixed in, so that's difficult for me to do that purely. God does not have this problem. He sees you as his children, and he disciplines you. He does not punish you. I know many believers who walk around thinking something happened to them because God's getting them. That cheapens Christ. Christ took it all on himself. He loves you because of what Christ has done, so he disciplines you. That's altogether different than getting you for something you did. We'll continue on, considering Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we have instead fatherly discipline. And I think there are two forms or levels of discipline. Let's put it that way. First, there's what we would call instructive discipline. I think the majority of God's discipline is instructive. Secondly, maybe the second level or the second form, you might say, there's corrective discipline. So instructive discipline and corrective discipline. Now, to be clear, all discipline that God employs is by nature instructive, meant to, to hone us, to guide us, to direct us, shape us. So it all comes under the umbrella of instructive. But some of it is particularly corrective, which we'll look at in a moment. Verse 7 and verse 8 again. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. So he's doing this discipline because you are his children. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This means fathers instruct their children, guide their children so that they become something. Most of the discipline, brothers and sisters, that God exercises falls under this general heading of instructive discipline. You're being disciplined right now as you sit under the Word of God. When you privately open up the Word of God and submit your heart to it and you're reading it, this brings discipline. This is God's chief way of bringing discipline. Let me give you several ways instructive discipline happens. So get out of your mind a spanking or grounding or a loss of privileges because that's not primarily what is meant by God's discipline. God's discipline comes first and foremost from His Word and His Spirit. So as the Word of God is made known to us, it's taught to us, preached to us, we read it, and the Spirit of God applies or teaches us what it means and then applies it to our lives, that's God's discipline brought upon you. That's, that's a good kind of discipline. Yeah, that can even hurt. In fact, if you had the occasion, as I have had, when you're hearing a sermon preached, you're reading the Word of God, it strikes you right where you live, you could swear the preacher's talking to you. Okay? And 
That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit using the word of God and God disciplines us corporately that way and also individually. So I believe so strongly in this ministry of the word and spirit that I promise as you read the word of God on your own, that God will use it to discipline you, the word and his spirit. But he gives us other things to give us instructive discipline. The sacraments, one of the many things that they are, is an instructive discipline. Every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, we see again vividly what Christ has done for us. And we are left to say without question that it is all of God's work, what he has done. It disciplines us again, puts us in our right place on a regular basis. We see baptism applied. We recognize the separation we are to have. We recognize the special status we have as a covenant people. God disciplines our minds and our hearts based on the sacraments, the special sacraments that he has given us. Also, he gives us his people. We might call it counsel. We receive counsel from other believers. And I'm not talking expressly about being confronted for sin, because that could be part of the corrective discipline. I just mean the mutual encouragement we have from one another when we say amen together to the word of God. Yes, this is true. And we look around and know, you know what, we're struggling with this. We know what God says is true. We have to do this. And the people of God give us encouragement. When you're struggling, when you don't know what decision to make, you seek counsel from people who do what? Believe in the same God you believe and believe in the same standard you believe in his revealed word. And so you receive counsel from people based on his word. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is still there present. God, the Father, disciplines you through that. Also trials, brothers and sisters. Not as easy to interpret, and I will spend some time talking about these because I think often when we talk about discipline, immediately our trials and tribulations come to mind. Without doubt, trials and tribulations, struggles are part of the way our Father disciplines us. We have to be very careful in discerning and interpreting them uh, because God's Word doesn't tell us explicitly why it is you had something happen to you. But in general, we can always learn important lessons about reliance upon God, His sovereignty, His glory, His empowerment, His provision from whatever trial it is, whether it's instructional or corrective. But He does allow trials into our lives so that we might better reflect his glory. The classic uh, example of this, I think you all will agree, is Job. And we think of how much Job suffered. But the first verse of the book of Job is most powerful. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There goes any idea that God is trying to stick him like a voodoo doll because he did bad. This guy was upright. But because in God's greater plan, he was going to bring glory to himself and build up Job, he allowed some unbelievable things to happen to him. That's what is meant when Job 1.8 says, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He was going to remove a bit of protection for a time to build up Job, to instruct him, to deepen his already at present understanding that he knew his Redeemer lived, He was already God's child so that he would be built up in that way and serve as an example to the rest of us as to why God sometimes allows good things to happen or bad things to happen to good people. That's that's a reality. That's the truth about trials that can come. They can be part of the way the Father disciplines us. In this race we are running, they have their purpose, that is trials. And we recognize that all these things work together for good even when we can't particularly identify the long-term reasons. By faith, we know God is our Father, loves us, and employs this discipline for a greater purpose. 
Now let's consider for a moment this other form of discipline. There's instructive discipline. There's also corrective discipline. You know, I give instructive discipline to my children when I say to them, don't play in the road. Uh, Treat your mother right. Be respectful to her. Uh, Clean your room or other parameters that I give them that are important for our community life and some just to keep them safe. Those are instructional. However, if they don't obey those instructions, not because I want to get them, but because I recognize if they keep going down that road of rebellion, they'll be destroyed in some way, shape, or form. In that sense, I have to then step in and correct them. I have to do something more drastic to basically say, wake up, you're going down the wrong path. If you keep going down this path, you'll be destroyed. It's that serious. And so we employ corrective discipline. And so God often, in the lives of those he loves, has to step in in drastic ways and cause people to do an about-face and recognize, wow, I'm, I'm going down the wrong path. And God has stopped many a person this way out of love. That's the basis, again, for 1 Corinthians 11, when he says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And again in Hebrews 12, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son in whom he receives. It's with purpose. And on occasion, he causes circumstances in our lives to stop us from continuing in disobedience and sin. I think of Abraham suffering great family discourse because of his sinful choices. It was a wake-up call to Abraham that he never got away from. He always recognized what he had done was so wrong with Hagar. Then there's Moses. Wasn't permitted to go into the promised land because of his sin. It's not that he was any less of God's child, but he was not allowed to go further. And it served as an example not only to Moses, but to those who watched to take God seriously when he says to do something. David lost a son and suffered difficult family circumstances because of his sin. God sometimes allows or causes, brings things into our lives, his children's lives, and makes us stop. Say, God, how should I be living differently? Now, as it relates to trials and tribulations, let's just take a moment here. How do we know what kind of discipline our Father is employing? I think it's a good question always to ask, Lord, what are you trying to teach me from this situation? But I know that people struggle, as I have, with wondering, what kind of discipline? Is this, is this corrective, Lord, or are you, what are you teaching me in this? And we could say for sure, for sure, whatever trial or tribulation you have is definitely instructional. It definitely is for you to realize something about God, either something new about God or something that you've known about God but have forgotten or walked away from. And he brings those things into your life so that you stop and recognize that. So on a base level, we can say that all discipline that we receive, all trials that we endure, tribulations, are part of God's instructional discipline. Think about some examples. Uh, Most diseases and ailments, I think, fall into this category, especially situations you think when someone's disabled or born disabled. I think of baby Vladimir and other situations like this. Uh, This is not outside of God's sovereign will. This is part of his plan, his instructional plan. Yes, it's true. That's part of the vestige of a sinful fallen world. But it's not because of particular sin on the part of a parent. It's because God, in his wisdom and grace, has allowed us now to have opportunity to serve and to grow. And when he's made whole in glory, we will all be able to fellowship over this reality. This is part of his plan. I can't explain it all to you. I don't feel good about it sometimes. But it's part of his instructional discipline. It's not because of some particular sin. It's just part of God's sovereign will to instruct, to shape, to guide, to nurture, and grow his people. Accidents that happen. You can think of accidents we've experienced even in our own church. And you can wonder about why they happen. But I could tell you that they're not because God's punishing. 
It's because God is using yet another tool to further hone us for the deeper, more the eternal things. It really reminds us of what's most important when these things occur. How about job situations? I've known many a brother, many a sister over these last few years who have lost a job, got another job, and then lost, another, lost their job and asked that question rightfully, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And sometimes it's as simple as trust in me. And he keeps teaching us that lesson because he loves us until we do. It's not explicitly correctional. It's to instruct us, to grow us. Relationship issues, provision challenges. You know, will we have enough money uh, at the end of the month? Will we have enough of this or that? And all the questions that come to bear, are these correctional or are they instructive? Well, they're instructive mostly. Persecution for the cause of Christ, standing up for Jesus, causing persecution, trials, tribulations. This is not correction for personal particular sin. This is part of what it is to be or to bear the reproach of Christ. But also, let's say clearly that some trials are the natural consequences for our sin and are thereby correctional. It's a fine line, brothers and sisters. There are some things that just happen naturally because we sin. That's what the sin causes. It's why God says don't do it. If we choose to live a sexually promiscuous life, there is a litany of things that will go bad for you. It will go bad for you. It's a law. It's just the way things fall out when you don't obey God's commands. So those things are both natural consequences and corrective discipline at the same time. So you stop. You know, don't do this anymore. And you fill in the blank of whatever kind of uh, imbalanced behavior or sinful behavior it is that will cause certain things to happen. Fine line between natural consequence for sin and God's corrective uh, corrective discipline, but recognize they're there for us to say no to this any longer and to not do it anymore. In that sense, it's still under God's loving hand in disbursement. You know, if a person lies, he or she will lose friends, opportunities, a livelihood. These are the results, uh, a natural result that happens from the sin, but it's also God's corrective discipline to stop you from lying and fill in the blank, whatever it is how it is that God would step in. Church discipline is a classic example. If you're under church discipline or people in the church are telling you, confronting you, hear that as God's corrective discipline. Don't ignore it. If one or two come to you and say this and two or three come to you and say this and the church talks to you about this, don't make excuses. Recognize it as God's hand of discipline and respond with repentance. You know, legal ramifications from the civil magistrate happen. You get arrested, you get thrown in jail, you get a ticket, whatever it is. These are all the ways that God uses other outward circumstances to discipline us correctively so we stop doing what we're doing because it's on the wrong path. You know, some sicknesses are corrective. And what I mean by that is, is if we engage in any kind of addicted behavior, you, na- you, you name it, or imbalance, or we abuse something, if we do it long enough, our bodies won't hold up under it. So I'm not here to give you a list of things you shouldn't do. I'm just saying, recognize there are ramifications for those kinds of behaviors, those kinds of practices. We deal with sickness that's directly related to our behavior. In those cases, it's a wake-up call to us to stop doing that behavior if that applies. So there's a fine line sometimes between corrective and instructional, but we see it's all under instructional. What can we learn? What do we need to do differently? We ask those questions about the what of discipline, but the why of discipline, I think, is what helps us to accept it and then react appropriately. Our Father disciplines us, bottom line, because he loves us. I recently watched a little boy. We were at a basketball game uh, some time ago now, a few weeks ago, and this little boy was being watched by his 13-year-old or 14-year-old brother. And the little boy is maybe four. 
I could tell the parents kind of left him in charge. They were perhaps watching another child play a game. I don't know the story. But I saw them sitting at the doorway, and I was with my children, and we were waiting to go um, to go to the car and leave. And so as I watched him, I saw the little four-year-old kind of telling off his older brother what he thought about his authority. Very articulate young man. And he uh, actually started hitting his brother, started punching him in the thigh. You know, my first reaction was, I know what this boy needs. You know, I thought, this, I'm going to have a little chat with him. But then I thought to myself, it wasn't in the context of the church, where, by the way, I expect that you would correct my children, and likewise, in the covenant community, this was not that kind of a situation. So I'm standing there wondering where the parents are and all the questions you would ask. Kids pounding on his brother. And then I thought to myself, it's not my responsibility. It's not my child. What can I do? I mean, what would even be appropriate for me to do at this point? And I walked off to my car. Okay, God doesn't do that with us. He doesn't say you're not my child. And it's because he cares that he stops you from doing those things. When he sees you doing that, he doesn't react like me. Say, it's not my problem. I walk. He says, that's my child. And they're not reflecting their father. And he stops us. Praise God. That's fatherly discipline. And that's why he does it. Verse 11 or 10 and 11 of our text for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Talking about our earthly fathers. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see three things there. First, he disciplines us because he loves us. That's the overarching message. He does it particularly because he wants to correct and protect us. When God sees us doing something that will harm us or harm someone else, he will sometimes do things, uh, even drastically, to stop us from going down that path. It could be any of the forms of instructive discipline that he might employ, the word of God preached, other people, the sacraments. You know, we come to the Lord's table every week and we have to ask the question, are we right with our brothers and our sisters? So there's many ways he brings this discipline upon us. But one of the reasons why he does it is to correct us and protect us, often protect us from ourselves in the ways that we would go. Also, though, not only to correct and protect, because he loves us, he disciplines us to make us partakers of his holiness, uh, to make us share in the, the beautiful blessedness of walking like him. You know, it's not boring to be holy. Uh, to be holy is to be the way God has intended for us to act as redeemed people. And so that's where real peace lies when we reflect his holiness in our actions, in our thoughts, in the way we do things. So God disciplines us often to make us partakers of his holiness, just as it says, to share in his holiness. He changes our actions from sinful and self-serving to holy and sacrificial like his. God loves us, so he disciplines to correct and protect, to make us partakers of his holiness. And finally, verse 11, to cause us to bear fruit for his glory. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We're a barren tree before Christ gives us new life. And when he gives us new life, fruit starts to show. And so people look and they see a tree that was dead, no fruit. Now it's a tree with leaves and fruit on it. And they say, what has happened? And glory goes to God because fruit is born. To bear fruit for his glory. This is why he disciplines us. And brothers and sisters, I say to you finally that there are three different reactions biblically that I can see to uh, God's discipline in your life. First, you could resent it bitterly. You could just resent what God has caused to come to pass in your life. Cain did this. <coughs> you remember what Cain did when God corrected Cain's offering. Cain was very angry and his face fell. 
The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, which means if you repent, if you act appropriately based on my, cor- my correction, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You can choose to re- resent God's discipline in your life, and you will become a bitter, crotchety person that no one wants to hang around with on the simple level. But even worse, you'll continue to go down a destructive path, and you'll destroy yourself from within in bitterness. That's one response we can have to God's corrective discipline. We could kind of go a middle of the road, which is kind of that begrudging acceptance. You know, like Balaam, sort of. You know, whose side was Balaam ever on? You never really get it. But it takes a donkey talking to him to actually do what God tells him to do. I hope we're not like that either. But to embrace it willingly, I think the best picture of this is Joseph. Here is Joseph who has been wronged any way, every which way he could be wrong, sold out by his own brothers, a slave, a prisoner. All the worst possible uh, cases happened to this guy. Yet, even after years of spending time in injustice, God raises him up out of that, uses those trials to put him in a place where many would, bl- would be blessed, even us today because of what happened with Joseph. And what does Joseph say? regarding God's trials and tribulations and discipline in his life when he faces his brothers. We had the power to execute the moment he saw them. And what does he say? Do not fear to his brothers, he says, for I am, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Meant what for good? All the trials, all the tribulations to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as there are today ultimately to cause us to bear fruit for his glory, to be partakers in his holiness. This is why he moves your life the way he does. Brothers and sisters, one of the most important ingredients in our spiritual growth in running this race we're talking about is God's discipline. And what a blessing, truly, what a blessing it is to be loved so much by our Father that he cares so carefully as to discipline you and to discipline me. We belong. We're not orphans. We're adopted sons and daughters, and our Father proves it every minute of every day. Let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you. We can call you Father, and we know that everything from your hand is intended for our good and for your glory. Lord, I pray with the words of the psalmist who said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me, lead us in the way everlasting for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.